Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Some of us take our works of the flesh and we're like, God, can you just bless this? Can you just make this work? And God's like, I'll never bless that. I'm not going to bless that. I'm not going to bless your mess. I'm not going to take that which you did in your own strength, your own power, your own ingenuity, your own carnality. I'm not going to take that and bless it. You're going to wait for me to do what I'm going to do. And when I do it, it'll be clear that it was me, right? When Abraham and, and Sarah had Isaac, that was like everybody just saw him and said, that is a, that is a miracle from the Lord. Pastor Bill reminds us today that God has a purpose for each one of us, for each one of us. But we need to submit to his purpose if we want to experience his blessing. We can't force God to bless our worldly pursuits. And if we attempt to fulfill God's promises in our flesh, like Abraham did, God will not honor the results. In Abraham's case, God did not honor Ishmael. God didn't honor Ishmael as a promised son because Isaac was a son that God had promised. When we try to fulfill God's blessing in our flesh, it's no longer God's blessing. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Romans chapter 9 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. God chose you with purpose. There's something for you to do. And many of us are walking in that purpose, but maybe some of you are not. Maybe some of you, as you listen to this right now, you say, man, I do not have a real grasp of God's call, God's purpose, God's plan for my life. I'm going to encourage you to pray about that today. If you're here and you do have a sense of what God wants, but maybe you're not living in such a way that you can fulfill it. Maybe you're not you're not giving yourself. Maybe you don't want to do it. Maybe you're a Jonah. And maybe some Jonah's here today where God, you, you know, there's great purpose. God has even given you glimpses or clear direction as to what it is. And you're like, I don't want to do that. If I do that, I can't do all the stuff I want to do. Don't be a Jonah. You'd be in the bottom of somebody's boat somewhere. You'd be over. You'd be overboard in the belly of a fish. You'll be somewhere hot and stank some, at some point. Don't be a Jonah. You know, you, you, what you'll do is waste time like Jonah did and. After wasting time that you don't get back and after enduring unnecessary hardship and he finally comes back to the Lord, the Lord says, it says, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah again the second time and God said the same thing. And some of you guys are just in that place. You know God's called you. You know there's a purpose upon your life. But because you're not moving in it, pursuing it, and you're wasting time and you're going to endure unnecessary hardship and you're finally going to be broken and repent. And when you come all the way around from all of that mess and say, God, OK, God's going to say, I ain't changed my mind about what I want to do with you. So you might as well get on board with his program now. Amen. Amen. And so if you're Jonah, get out the boat, turn it around now. So just like he saved the Jews with great purpose, he has saved you with great purpose. God has a plan for your life. And the more you yield to him the more clear his plan becomes. And if I can tell you anything, you guys, nothing more fulfilling in this life than walking out the plan of God. Just walking in that which he created you, gifted you, called you to do. There's, there's, there's nothing more fulfilling than that. And there's nothing more empty than perusing around this world and, and functioning outside of your purpose. Or living like you have no purpose trying just trying random stuff my friend said that was i'm gonna try that too oh that looks fun over here that's how some people live their life they're just looking around oh that looks i'm gonna try that oh and i want to try to take that class and they're just popping around trying stuff you could do that till you're 80 and still be like i don't know what i did with this life it's gone it's i mean i'm 80 not if you're 80 you're gone but 
a lot of it's gone. I mean, it's not a whole lot left after 80 unless you was in Genesis. So don't don't waste time. So moving on. Look at verse verse five. It says of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is overall and eternally blessed God. Amen. Another important factor is that God came through the Jews. So part of what was so great about them is that it was through their lineage. It was through their line that the Messiah would come. And God said, this, all these things are they're significant. They're important. They're things that God has done through them. Verse six now. But it is not that the word of God has, been, has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are Israel. And here God says, look, it's not that the word of God is of no effect or has taken no effect. Anybody ever seen somebody that's been under the word, around the word, in the word, but it looked like it's not having any effect at all? That's the Jews. And he says here, not all who are called Israel are Israel. I can say the same thing. Not everybody that say they're Christian is a Christian. How do you figure out the difference? Because if they are a Christian, the word of God will take effect. If the word of God takes no effect, then you're probably not a Christian. How do we know that? James said, he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. What? Deceiving yourself. Deceiving yourself into what? Deceiving yourself into thinking you're okay when you're not okay. Right? What's the evidence that I'm saved? The word of God will have an effect on my life. Jesus, when he spoke in Matthew chapter 7, and he was given a distinction between those that went to heaven and those that didn't, those that were saved and those that weren't. He said, hey, those who hear these sayings of mine and don't do them will be like the foolish man. Who built his house in the sand and the rains came and the, the, the storms of life came and it all fell down. The wise man is the one that hears the word of God and does it and, and does what it says. This one will endure the storms and everything else and his house will stand. But then he said this. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone that says Jesus is Lord. It's a whole lot of people that call him Lord, but they don't live under his lordship. He says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But but who? He who does the will of my father in heaven. And he gave another example. He said, there are going to be people that come to him in that day, the day of judgment, that final day, when it's too late to get right. And they're going to come and say, Lord, you know, I, I went to church. Lord, I prophesied. Lord, I cast out demons. Lord, I did many wonders in your name. And Jesus is going to say to them, I, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What, what identified the non-believer? The fact that they practice they habitually lived in disobedience. And so if you're a person that's regularly under the word of God, you think you're a believer, you think you're a Christian, do you obey God? Has the word of God taken effect on your life? Because there are a lot of nominal Christians. That means just in name only. There are a lot of people that are like, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I was, I'm Ameri I was born in America. So I'm American. I'm Christian. You know, I, I, I grew up. I went to church my whole life. I've been saved forever. How long? Well, my grandma took me to church when I was a baby. I got baptized when I was five. But you smoke weed, fornicate, and live in sin on a regular basis. How you saved? You're not saved. That won't stand up. You won't when you get to when you get to the place of being judged and standing before God, right? And you don't want to wait till then to figure out. That's that's too late to find out your loss. I'm doing you a favor. I'm, I'm a, I want to be faithful to the Word of God and help you understand. If you live in habitual, ongoing sin. You need to repent and ask Jesus to forgive you, to save you, to come and live inside you. You won't be perfect when you get some of y'all are saved and you struggling. But this is the difference. Right. When you get born again, it begins to be a struggle. You battle with sin as a Christian. You don't 
You don't swim in it. You don't live in it. You don't habitually give over to it, but you battle with it. And when you fall, you get up. As a believer, you're spiritually alive. And part of the evidence of a spiritual life is that you're battling with your flesh. You're battling with temptation. You're battling with sin. And hopefully by the work of the Holy Spirit, as we learned in Romans 8, you're going to have victory over it. But if you don't battle with sin, you just live in it hard to from a biblical standpoint, hard to call yourself a Christian. And I know some people like to say this. Well, I just backslid. You've been backslid for 15 years. You can't slide that long. That's how you habitually practicing sin. I, I, I hope that helps somebody out. But there are people that we got all these terms that kind of help people feel OK when they're in sin. But if I read Galatians and it says no one who practices this will inherit the kingdom. So if it says if you can't practice alcoholism and inherit the kingdom and someone's been in alcoholism for 10 years, talking about they backslid when they die. What happens? Is God wrong and you can practice it and still go to heaven and inherit the kingdom? Or were you not saved, didn't repent, and it's evident in the fact that you habitually practice it? I think that it's evident in your habitual practice. Someone is fornicating on a regular basis, living with your boyfriend or girlfriend, having sex like you married, but you're not. But you say you saved. Really? Because no fornicator is going to inherit the kingdom. So if you live like that on a regular basis, but you think you saved, but God says no fornicator is going to inherit the kingdom, I would be unfaithful to the word to make you feel like you could go to heaven in that condition. You need to repent. You, you're not okay like that. And so... Here he says, look, not all those that are Israel, Israel, right? Not all those who are, you know, who have the covenants and the law and everything have submitted to it. And the same way is true for you and me. Not all those who say they're Christian are really Christian, but we can be right. That's the good news for you and me. The opportunity. I have to point out what's not true so that you can recognize if that's you. And if you need to repent, turn, change, the opportunity for you to do so is, is here. We can do that. That's the good news for you and I now. We're living and breathing and we can repent and we can be forgiven and we can be saved. But here again, verse six, he says, not all those who say they're Israel are Israel. And the evidence was the word of God just hadn't taken effect on them. All right. Moving on now, look at verses seven through eight. Verse seven says, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. He says, but in Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is those who are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time, I will come and Sarah shall have a son. Now, if you guys remember the story of Abraham, God had told Abraham, Abraham, you're going to have a son. And I'm going to bless this son through this son all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. You're going to have you're going to have descendants like the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky. And if you were Abraham, I'm sure you'd have been excited. Abraham was hyped. He was like, all right, I'm going to have a son. He probably went home and got his wife, Sarah, was like, let's go, girl. We're going to have a son. God said so. And it didn't happen right away, though. It didn't even happen. It, it took a long time. And Sarah was barren. And, you know, I don't know what that would have been like, but they went for a long time and Sarah was barren and she wasn't getting pregnant and no kid was coming. And I don't know if it was Abraham pressuring her or if it was Sarah that was just like, I don't know what to do for him. We're not having this kid. And he really wants this kid because God told him we're having this kid. And Sarah one day said, OK, fine. Here's my handmaiden, Hagar. Just go into her and, and, and that'll be our kid for the Lord. And what did Abraham say? He said, that's not what God said. That's not what he said. Abraham said, okay. And he went into Hagar and they made Ishmael. Now, Ishmael is the son of the flesh, the work of the flesh. God didn't recognize that. And what Abraham did was brought Ishmael and said, God, just, you know, God, just, can you just bless Ishmael? Let that be the son of promise. And God said, no, no, no. I said, I'm going to give you a son, right? Here's a few really important points from that story. 
You never have to sin against God to get what God wants to give you ever. And anytime you think you got to kind of help God out, right? God, you just kind of come a little slow. I got to help you out a little bit by stealing that, cheating this, doing this. You don't ever have to cheat, steal, sin to help God accomplish his will. The more of your energy in it, the more likely that it's a work of the flesh. And so Ishmael was a work of the flesh, created all kinds of problems to this day. I won't go into it. Right. And then God did keep his word, but he did it when he was good and ready. Right. When did God finally give him the son of promise? When it, had, when it was, when was going to take a miracle, when it was going to be an act of God, when Abraham was so old that he couldn't function anymore. When Sarah was Sarah's womb was already barren, but now she's so old that in addition to being barren, she's also beyond the age of being able to have kids. I mean, they're old. They're ancient at this point. And then God says, OK, I'm going to do it now. And Sarah laughs. Am I going to have pleasure? I mean, we're going to go and do the thing now, Abraham. And, and they went and God gave them strength and she got pregnant and they had Isaac, what God promised. Supernatural miracle work of God. And Isaac was the one that God was going to bless. And so this is the deal, because some of us take our works of the flesh and we're like, God, can you just bless this? Can you just make this work? And God's like, I'll never bless that. I'm not going to bless that. I'm not going to bless your mess. I'm not going to take that which you did in your own strength, your own power, your own ingenuity, your own carnality. I'm not going to take that and bless it. You're going to wait for me to do what I'm going to do. And when I do it, it'll be clear that it was me. Right. When Abraham and, and Sarah had Isaac, that was like everybody just saw him and said, that is a that is a miracle from the Lord. I mean, only one can be glory. Only one can get the glory for that was the Lord. And many times that's how God does his work. God does it in such a way that nobody else can get the glory but him. Absolute work of God. So we want to be careful about offering our Ishmael's to the Lord. And it's interesting when. You guys remember the story when God was telling Abraham he wanted him to take Isaac to sacrifice him. He said, go get Isaac. And he said, your only son, Isaac. And I want you to offer him up. But he had Ishmael. But God didn't recognize the work of the flesh. He didn't recognize. He said, go get Isaac, your only son, and take him. And so God said, I don't even recognize that, the work of your flesh. So we want to be careful about offering up our works of the flesh and asking God to bless it. We really want to live our lives in such a way where, God, we want to experience, I want to experience your hand, your faithfulness. And, and many times God puts us in situations, you guys, where nothing's short of a miracle. It's going to take a work of God. And that's how he wants it to be, that he might get all the glory for the things that he does. And so the last thing, and back to verse nine, it says, for this is the word of promise. At this time, I will come and Sarah will have a son. God said, that's going to be the one that I promise. And not only this, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one man, even by our father, Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. So here we come back to that thing of election. If you guys remember in chapter eight, and it was a kind of a key verse in chapter eight, verse 29, where Paul said, God, for whom he foreknew, he predestined. We talked about how God foreknows. God knew you before the foundation of the world. God knew what you were called to do before the foundation of the world. So here God is, if you you look in the Old Testament, you look at when people were giving birth to kids. And many times God would tell them when they were pregnant with a kid what they were going to be what they were going to do. I mean, the babies came out. They haven't done anything good or bad yet. And God said the oldest is going to serve the younger. 
It's going to be Jacob and not Esau. And God's just calling it. Now, what I have to put forth and that we don't forget it because we got our our Calvinistic, our Reformed theology friends that love to take these verses and say, see, God, God picked him for heaven and picked him for hell. They didn't do nothing yet. But you forget verse 29 of chapter eight, where God said, look, I foreknew. Right. I knew what they were going to be like. I know who was going to be like what I knew what they were going to. I knew what I called them to do. I look at Jacob. Everybody know what the name Jacob means. It means heel catcher, conniver. And that's exactly what Jacob was. Jacob was a shady cat. He was always doing some shade tree, underhanded stuff. That's the kind of guy he was. But God said, I picked him. And when you look at it initially, you, you look at the earlier part of the story. You're like, why did God pick him? He's a mess. He's always doing sneaky stuff, always tricking people. And he's all tricky and, you know, doing little shades. He's like the guy on the corner, you know, jacking you and taking advantage of you. That was Jacob. But what did Jacob become later? Israel, which means governed by God. After he wrestled with God and God broke that, took that hip out of socket and he had to walk with a limp. And so but but did God know when he was a baby that they were going to have that interaction and Jacob would eventually be Israel governed by God? Did God know it when they were babies? Yeah, he knew it. He knows everything. That's how come he can say with two babies, the older is going to serve the younger. This is how it's going to be because I know what's going on now. This 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 is why we need to be seeking him. You guys about his plan for our lives. Right. We're reading these stories and we don't want to just read these as stories and leave it there because then we're missing like we're missing big stuff. If I just read those stories and say, OK, well, God knew them when they were kids and God knew Isaiah when he was in the womb and God knew Jeremiah when he was in. Well, do you guys know that God knew you, too? And he knew what he wanted you to do and he knew what gifts he had put in you. But, do you know, that the crazy thing is he also know how we would respond. He knew those that received him, those who wouldn't, those that would say, yes, Lord. And those that would fight him tooth and nail, he knew that too. And since he knows everything and he's got the plan, it'd be so wise for you and us to spend time seeking him about his will for our lives so we don't waste it. Right. Since he's got the master plan, since he knows what we're created to be, it'd be so wise of you and I to take the time to seek him that he might make his will clear to us. Lord, show me what to do with my life so I don't waste it. Show me what to do with my life so I don't waste any more of it. Because by the time I got saved, I had wasted some. I had wasted some valuable time, some awesome opportunities. But Lord, from here, can we go? For, can you show me what to do from here? And I do plead with you guys to spend time in prayer and, and to do the things God shows you to do. Don't be long term disobedient where God has shown you something to do five times now. And you still like, I need to pray about it. You ain't got to pray about that. If God shows you something to do, there's nothing to pray about. You just got to do it, right? So that's how Christians be disobedient. God will show you something very clearly. It's even confirmed with scripture. You need to go and, you know, make things right with this person. And you'll say something like, yeah, I'm still just praying about it. That's you just being disobedient. I want you to try this out with your kids at home. Give your child an order. Son, go take out the trash. And let your son say, can I talk to you about that for a little while? And son, take out the trash. Dad, can we talk about, because prayer is talking to God. God. Dad, can we talk about that a little longer? What's going to happen? The, the talk is going to end. <laughs> something's going something's to come in touch with the mouth. The talk is going to be over. That's not going to be a healthy interaction, right? That, you're not obeying. That's nothing else to talk about. Go take out. My will is made very clear. Take out the trash. That's nothing else. We don't talk 10 more times about that. Keep that in mind when God shows you something to do. And you're talking about you got to pray about it. You need to be about it. You need to go do it. Amen?
All right, so moving on. Verse 13. He says, and as it is written, Jacob, I have loved, but Esau, I have hated. What does that mean? Did God hate Esau? And if you look up the word hated, it means loved less. Great illustration of that verse. When Jesus tells the believers, he says, any man that doesn't hate mother, father, brother, sister is not worthy of me. And you're thinking, what? God wants me to hate my mom? That's not what he wants. But he wants us to love them less than him. Do you know that some people can't serve God the way he wants because their connection to their mothers, fathers, brothers, and sisters is greater than their obedience to Jesus. That Jesus could show them to do this and mom or dad could be disapproving of that. And so they'll do what mom and dad want instead of doing what Jesus wants. He says, you're not worried. You can't follow me unless I'm supreme. Lest you love me the most. Lest you love me above every other relationship. I've got to be number one. Husbands and wives have to love Jesus more than they love each other so that they can live right before God. So when he says here, Esau, I've loved. Jacob, I have hated. That's that's the, the idea there. It's not that he it's not like it's not when we say hatred. I hate you. I can't stand you. It's not that kind of hatred. But these were two very different individuals with different callings, different plans. And God says, Jacob, I have loved. But Esau, I've hated. Verses 14 and 15 now. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. And so here God is, you know, Paul is kind of answering arguments that he knows are going to come up. So if God says, you know, Esau, Jacob, I love Esau. Is that fair? Is there is there? inequality? Is there injustice with uh, unrighteous with God? And Paul says, absolutely not. Certainly not. And he says, for he says to Moses, and he said this to Moses earlier, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. Right. Can't be mad at God for showing mercy. I can't look at the story and say, but but Jacob was such a bad guy. And God said, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. Sometimes people look at the people God selected and picked and they have a hard time with it. How come God couldn't have picked a better choice than that? Who wrote most of the New Testament? Paul, imagine that you're a Christian before Paul got saved and you were there when Paul was, you know, had Stephen stoned to death and you were a part of the group when Paul was persecuting Christians. And he took your cousin and he put him in jail for being at church. You, you've seen Paul be that guy. How, how easy would it be for you when Paul is showing up and he's the leader of the church in your city? That'd be kind of tough unless you really had God's heart. Right. It'd be easier for you if God had picked somebody that you love. God, how come you couldn't pick the guy that was already kind of a nice guy, had a good reputation? How come you picked the guy that the last time I saw him, he was putting Christians in jail and he murdered Stephen? He had Stephen stoned to death. How come you picked him? And God would say, look, I show mercy. I have mercy on whom I have mercy. Right. I can't be upset with the fact that God is merciful to sinners. And what it should do. Right. When we see that God is merciful to really bad people should be an encouragement to you and I. Shouldn't be something we get upset about. Now, I told you guys before, I won't go into it, but I, there was a reporter that was you know, interviewing one of these mass murderers before they were going to be executed. And this person had done really vile, dark, wicked things, but then got saved and born again and was sharing that they had come to Christ and, you know, fessed up to everything they did, took the interview, owned up to their sins, admitted they deserve to die. They're not even appealing it. And they're just saying, I know I'm going to meet the Lord. This is how I'm going to meet him. And I, I, you know, I'm wrong for what I did, so forth and so on. And the reporter had such a hard time. So you think God just going to forgive you? You think you just you think you think after what you've done, you deserve to go to heaven? 
and she was just having a hard time swallowing that pill. I'm listening to the brother's testimony saying, wow, that guy's going to heaven. I really believe that he had a sincere interaction with the Lord. Romans 5, 3 to 5 says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Paul knew suffering, and he had faced false accusations, been beaten, left for dead, imprisoned, and hated by his own people. How could a man who has suffered so much rejoice in it? He answers that question through the love of God and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Next time you're facing suffering, jump into the book of Romans, dig into the life of Paul, and remember the purpose of the suffering to produce endurance, character, and hope. We're so glad you joined us today on A Transforming Word, where Pastor Bill Buffington has been working his way through the rich book of Romans. A Transforming Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you in person. We have two services on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. and one service midweek. That one is held Wednesday evenings at 7. If you're not in the area, we live stream our services on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also find us online at CalvaryInglewood.org. Under the Media tab, you'll find links to our messages as well as our mobile app. We're out of time for today. Thanks for deciding to spend your time with us today. We'll see you again next time with more from Romans on a Transforming Word.